Greetings, puny humans. This is Morbo, the newscaster. I am pleased, yet sticky, to tell you that you are listening to the power of positive geeking. I will destroy you! Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Power of Positive Geeking right here on the Feeding the Monster podcast feed. My name is Corey Morissette, and uh, for our 10th episode, uh, I really wanted to do one of my favorite movies, and I am honored to bring back a a gentleman I haven't spoken to in probably 27 years, but he's actually the one that introduced me to this film. His name is Jeff Allen. How's it going today, Jeff? Good. Yeah, this is a nice little reunion, and yeah, this is my favorite. Yeah, uh, Jeff and I actually went to film school together uh, back in the early 90s uh, for a little bit and um, worked on a a great uh, film that I I wish I could get a copy of the finished product about uh, dry cleaning coupons. But um, Jeff is actually the one uh, to loan me his old uh, beat up VHS copy uh, of the film we're talking about today, and that is The Commitments. Uh, But before we get into that, Jeff, uh, maybe tell us uh, what's your earliest film memory? What's the movie that kind of made you a film lover? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely that um, Betamax VHS generation. So it was, um, you know, I feel like we we, yeah, we got exposed to a lot of stuff, you know, probably more so than, you know, the generation before us. Um, I remember Blade Runner being kind of an influential thing because that was one where, you know, I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, I don't know if I know exactly what's going on in the show, but it just, it looks very cool. And I remember watching it so many times and, and, and as much as all the the brilliant moments and then and um that was the first movie too where i started hearing you know before the internet you know started hearing these rumblings about um you know harrison ford wasn't happy on the set um yeah uh, you know just kind of different things like that and how the director basically focused more on the look of the movie as opposed to you know you know um yeah yeah it's sort of the some of the story considerations um yeah, Blade Runner's definitely one, and I and I mean I continue to enjoy it today. And and I'm one of those weirdos who I actually enjoyed the voiceover, the narration, and I know that's been hotly contested. A lot of people hated it, but I kind of like the the whole detective, you know, kind of the gumshoe dialogue over top of it. Exactly the film noir yeah. element. What's that? The the film noir element to the Blade Runner. With the voiceover. Yeah, the film noir. Yeah, I mean it was a detective story, but with you know robots and yeah, and I mean and and again it was that was the first movie that really. I know a lot of people, you know, around our age kind of cite Star Wars, and certainly Star Wars was, but, you know, um, had that dystopian kind of thing, and that really opened my eyes. And I remember, yeah, seeing the trailer, and I was just like, what is this? So <laughs> that uh, one sticks out. Lots of kinds of movies, we're film geeks, but, but Blade Runner is, you know, one that, that always sticks out. Very quick, Jeff, was uh, Deckard a replicant? What do you think? What's that? Well, that seems to be yeah, kind of the consensus now. So yeah, I I kind of buy into that, you know. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I and again, there was no, you know, a lot of people, you know, I I liked the new Blade Runner. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a mystery. I just love watching it either way. I'm, um, yeah. I don't know if that answered anything. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, you totally have. Blade Runner is a fantastic film. Um, yeah. But the film we're talking about today, Jeff, The Commitments. How did uh, how did you get introduced to The Commitments? What was the first time you saw that movie? Um, uh, yeah, that was one I did not see at the theater. Um, you know, fortunately, when I was a kid, my parents just, and 
maybe that was it was just back in the you know the 80s and the you know the early 90s for sure that you know when a new movie came out it's like well we just go rent that one and you want to watch it and that was one of those movies that just just you know as soon as i saw it i wanted to watch it again um around that time i was a big fan of the blues brothers which is another movie about you know you know white guys you know singing soul music in kind of a funny way sort of <laughs> so um yeah no and i and i liked that it wasn't it was you know it was distributed by you know 20th century fox which is again you know hey star wars and you know um big trouble in little china one of my other you know <laughs> favorite 80s movies so this big this big studio but they made this movie that was yeah depicted um life that wasn't perfect and it was very un-hollywood and it was you know these people looked real they didn't look like movie stars and they weren't as it you know as it turns out mm -hmm. um yeah and just that really infectious music and you know for as long and i'm really appreciating it now but for as long as i've hope i've been attracted to I, I just find bios and music movies although not all of them are great but and music document you know documentaries just really interesting you know everything from almost famous to um the kids all right by the who just anything that's you know documentaries and yeah just something about being a musician and i'm not a musician myself i took guitar lessons but just people who are and people who can do it fascinate me and the commitments was certainly you know you had some people who weren't musicians and people who were musicians and then they came together and um yeah no I, th I thought it was great and it's funny because the sort of the main actor in the movie the star rabbit he he was a musician and he wasn't really a trained actor but he got the role uh, as the you know as the as the star and um you know had to sort of carry the weight of the acting but and i thought he did a great job and then then even before you know like american idol the, the thrill of seeing these people who aren't superstars but they can sing you know um like that 16 year old kid it's just yeah this kind of a you know it's like wow can't believe this guy's not famous and here's a movie showing about him trying to be famous so <laughs> well uh, i'll never forget jeff uh, way back in 1992 93 whatever it was you introduced me to the commitments and you said there is more f-bombs in this movie than any other movie i've ever seen uh i actually looked it up i think and it's 114 minute runtime there's 169 uh, F <laughs> so I thought, geez, that, it's got to be good, right? And then I was, uh, <laughs> I was totally swept away uh, by the story and by the uh, acting and by the performances. Like you, I love uh, music documentaries. There was a great one Peter Bogdanovich did on Tom Petty, four hours great. long. I, I could yeah. sit down and watch that every week. Um, yeah, as soon as it ended, I wanted to watch it again. Yeah. It was just so, yeah, so great. Uh, Anvil, the story of Anvil, another amazing music another documentary. One. Uh, there's yeah. one I just watched on the Bengals uh, that was really, really good. Or sorry, not the oh, Bengals, the Go-Go's. The Go-Go's. Yeah. I just watched that my, myself, and I didn't realize they were they were kind of back in the, you know, I didn't, I thought they were always squeaky clean, just like their image, and I didn't realize, like, they were strung out and, cocaine and but i guess it was the 80s so. yeah exactly <laughs> i guess i shouldn't be surprised but but yeah i really enjoyed that one as well you know and it makes you kind of i mean you know you know um hindsight's 2020 20, i guess but yeah it's 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 cool looking back and like you know kind of reappraising you know the the music that you know we grew up with and because i had i think i had the go-go second album and but yeah it's, it was it was fun going back and just sort of reevaluating their music and you know kind of appreciating what they did you know, I'm going to have to get you back on the show sometime, Jeff. We'll talk about our favorite music documentaries because there's so many uh, to get into. But uh, today we're talking about The Commitments, which, of course, is the uh, inception, rise and fall of a Irish soul band. 
uh, <laughs> written by uh, Roddy Dole, who did the, that was actually his first, uh, his first novel, uh, directed by the late, great Alan Parker. Uh, the film came out in 1991, only grossed uh, like $15 million, but it got an 89% on the old uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, tomato meter. And um, it's, it's such a fantastic right. movie. Uh, we're introduced to young Jimmy Rabbit, uh, who's trying to form this Irish soul band with three, two of his buddies who are in the uh, poorly titled cover band and, and, and. Uh, don't forget the exclamation mark after the second and. Uh, and, you know, they, they hold rehearsals. They bring this whole Motley crew together uh, featuring, like, Deco Cuff. Like you mentioned, a 16- or 17-year-old uh, Andrew Strong. Just amazing uh, set of pipes on that kid. Uh, you know, you got the Commitment Etz. Uh, you got Joey the Lips Fagan coming in. And it's just this inception of this great uh, soul band. And right when they're just getting good. You got that great performance of the Midnight Hour. That's when everything kind of falls apart. And it's just this wonderful little self-contained story about this little uh, Irish soul band. Uh, what, what really stood out to you about the story of The Commitments? Um, you know, I think just that. And, and I mean, what I really liked was, you know, like I said, it, when you watch the movie, it wasn't this glitzy, you know, glamorous portrayal. It was like they're at rehearsal, crying, they're yeah like you're you're watching this and you're like oh my god like i remember at the time i was like wow this isn't what i pictured ireland as being like you know <laughs> um yeah no yeah so it wasn't it wasn't glamorous not everybody was pretty it wasn't you know it was a, i mean i guess it was a hollywood movie but it didn't feel like that um yeah and just the, the story of the underdogs and the working class i mean you know uh, yeah and and i mean i, I like the idea they you know just this the power of this music pulls everybody together and um yeah, I mean, and and it was funny too, and I, I never read the original book, but um, you know, I've heard for the film they really played up the the comedic aspects and, and the comedy of the story, and that was yeah, I mean that that's that's what gave it, um, I think it's universal appeal, and and the music as well. I mean, the music was great, and I think it spawned two soundtracks. I think there was Commitments One and Commitments Two. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, it um, yeah, and for me too, that I think yeah, like I remember my parents ran out and and, and bought the. CD, you know, one. Yeah, it was uh, the, just the combination of the comedy, the music, and then, of course, just the great uh, the visual style and the direction of, of Alan Parker. Great script, too. Absolutely, and, and great cast for being uh, all unknowns, basically. You have Cole Meany uh, playing uh, Jimmy Rabbit's father, yeah. uh, who fans might remember, especially at the time with uh, Star Trek uh, The Next Generation. Uh, fantastic. Has the best line in the movie. I'm going to let you recite it now, Jeff. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, yeah, when his son, um, you know, announces that they're forming a band and the, the dad, you know, kind of casually remarks, you know, betcha you two are shitting themselves, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, many memorable little yeah lines like that yeah uh and like you said a lot of the cast uh musicians uh largely uh, with no acting experience and a couple that had acting experience and no musical experience uh like, yeah. uh, like the guy who played uh joey the lips uh never yeah. knew how to play a trumpet but uh yeah. you know he was a stage actor from ireland and so he got cast on that i believe yeah. uh, brana gallagher also uh, not a lot of uh, musical experience whereas everybody else uh you know could at least play their instruments and they, they put together even though they're not supposed to be that great a band, man, they really knocked some of these songs out. And to me, it was a real introduction in some really classic R&B songs, like you got Mustang Sally, uh, Take Me to the River, I Can't Stand the Rain, yeah. Try a Little Tenderless. Like, these soundtracks are absolutely amazing. So not only did you open my eyes to a great movie, Jeff, but you opened my eyes to a whole new genre of music I wasn't really a fan of, and now I can't get enough of. I got the commitments on a loop uh, on my iPhone all the time now. 
Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, like, it's funny, like, you know, if you say, you know, talk to me about sort of the, the soul music nowadays, I, I, you know, I'd be, I'd be hard pressed to tell you my favorites, but certainly, you know, that stuff from the, you know, the stacks stuff from the sixties. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and, um, you know, and it's connection and then Motown is another music from that era that, yeah, it's just kind of the, the feel good music. And as much as I, you know, um, well, when we went, when we went to school, it was sort of the era of grunge. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and as much as I appreciate that, my kids can't figure it out, but you, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's that timeless, that timeless soul music and the commitments tapped into that. And I mean, I watched the movie not that long ago and it's, it's just still great music. And, and I mean, I guess it's a sign of my age, but I'm just like, you know, they don't make music like that anymore. <laughs> Boy, ain't that the truth. And actually I was uh, getting ready for the show today and I was playing it. My daughter who's eight uh, came upstairs and I had Mustang Sally on and she just starts dancing like, hey, this is really good. What is this? And, you know, she listens to nothing but garbage now. But the fact that I can hopefully get her listening to songs like Mustang Sally or In the Midnight Hour, you know, it makes me feel like I'm doing a better job as a parent. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's our, our role is to, you know, bring up our kids right. So it's the, yeah, the good music. I'll always be thankful to my parents because, you know, they had, um, you know, they had pretty decent taste. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I heard the you know the commitments and yeah no i was yeah yeah good music is it's timeless and and i feel i really feel like this movie's timeless too it, it really is and we talked about the cast we talked about the music let's talk about maybe the look of the film because it's very uh significant and and talk about alan parker who i thought did an amazing job uh you could tell he loves working with young people and he loves staging uh, musical scenes because the editing in some of those performances is it's a master class really in editing uh, and the look of the film that kind of washed out look of ireland kind of gives you and you know uh, it, it kind of plugs you into what ireland was like especially in in northern ireland where maybe things were you know not quite so well off uh, so maybe uh, talk a little bit about uh, your thoughts on the uh, production values the editing uh, the look of the film the commitments yeah i mean alan parker he really was um you know, a master, the, um, I, and I mean, I, I feel like, you know, with his passing, his recent passing that, you know, I need to really go back and, and start, um, you know, watch some of his stuff. Cause I certainly haven't seen all of his films. Um, you know, certainly midnight express Mississippi burning, um, one that I've really, you know, movies that made an impact, um, you know, angel heart with Mickey Rourke, you know, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was one that, you know, when I saw that, when it came out, I was pretty young, but I was like, Whoa, you know, <laughs> the girl, what the, what did I just see in De Niro? And yeah. So, um, but yeah, getting back to the, the visual style. Yeah. Very, um, yeah. Everything from just the cinematography to the, um, yeah, the editing. And then one thing I've noticed too, like when you were talking about the music sequences, like, you know, as much as I love, you know, music documentaries, I also love, you know, concerts. And I think, I don't know if that's just, you know, cause my dad was kind of an audiophile and, you know, back in the day, like buying concerts for, you know, it's like buy a hundred for a hundred bucks, you could buy, you know, you could own the cassette, you know? And so my dad would, you know, he would buy these concerts. And so, and I've noticed now like, you know, I don't buy as many videos as I used to. Um, but yeah, like I, I still enjoy, you know, concerts, you know, concert films and, and I've noticed in re, you know, it seems to be like, how many edits can we get into this to make it more dynamic or something? And I've, yeah. And it kind of, kind of bugs me a little bit. And, and certainly Alan Parker understood you don't have to chop it up. You can, you know, you pick the moments you pick, you know, the, 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 the mm-hmm. right musician and yeah, it, it can just flow like the music. And um, yeah, so I mean, I just like the way it was was cut, and yeah, they 
they really knew how to shoot the, the, the music scenes. And I mean, having great music helps, but also presenting it in the right way. And certainly Alan Parker, he did a masterful <laughs> job of doing that. So yeah, I really like the pacing and yeah, it, it just worked. I tell you, uh, having great music helps, having a great band helps. And I really love uh, how these guys became a band to the point where uh, 2011, I believe it was the 20th anniversary of the film. The majority of the cast uh, got together and did a little tour uh, kind of yeah. around Ireland and Europe. And I was watching clips of that today. I'm like, damn it, they yeah. still got it. Like, why couldn't they keep this rolling? But apparently they all hate each other. So the fact <laughs> we were probably never getting another commitment show again. But uh, for that brief moment, you know, there were all most of them were back on stage again playing these songs. And uh, I just got deliriously happy. Yeah, yeah. No, I, it's funny. Just um, yeah, when I knew I was going to be doing this podcast, I yeah, I just kind of punched it in just to see there's a um, couple of music videos that came out that you know the, the couple of soundtracks but I, I wasn't sure about you know tours after that and um, but yeah and I did see a clip and um, yeah no it was great to see you know some of them not all of them but see some of them again touring and just, yeah and I mean uh, yeah the voices yeah it was yeah <laughs> it was pretty great now uh, what are some of your favorite scenes uh, in in the film Jeff I know for me uh, that first performance of the commitments at the uh, heroin kills uh, benefit where they put an, an E at the end of heroin uh, stands out as a highlight for me uh, was there any any uh, sequences that stood out for you uh, you know what I like how they developed the um, yeah, there's there's so many great scenes, but one of one of the anytime the dad was involved, I kind of I kind of got a kick out of the dad, you know, uh, the the Elvis worshiping dad who was, you know, <laughs> and I liked how Elvis was just an affront to you know everything his son wanted to to do with the, uh, you know, the Dublin soul. Um, I I really like the um, he the 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 maniac who was their security in the beginning. And then he became their drummer mm -hmm. <laughs> started by, you know, after a, a brutal punch out. And yeah, I, I, I kind of like that. And I think it culminated in, you know, um, yeah, some, I guess, loan sharks, you know, came to collect their money and he mid performance jumped, you know, out from behind the drums and, you know, tuned these guys up in the bar and <laughs> went back in a bloody mess and finished up the show. <laughs> so that's uh, that stands out as, is kind of a, as a, as a funny scene and, and basically, yeah, just kind of the, working class you know let's let's just get it done and you know coming back for yeah just to be part of this this thing this you know this music it's yeah yeah it's that thing though and i gotta love uh, at the end of the film kind of the emotional climax of the film uh they're performing they're all at each other's throats but they do that fantastic performance of in the midnight hour because they're expecting wilson pickett to show up at their show he yeah. doesn't show up jimmy's walking away from the venue and a limousine pulls up and uh, Jimmy's like, oh, yeah, sorry, you know, the, the, the gig is off and stuff. And, okay, sorry, Mr. Pickett, I guess we'll head back to the hotel. And, and Jimmy just kind of looks at the limo driving off yeah, and just says, yeah. fuck. <laughs> it just kind of perfectly sums yeah. up that moment. Yeah, yeah, no, that was, that was great. It wasn't, yeah, I mean, certainly it could have been Wilson Pickett could have shown up, and then it's like they went on to more success. But it was like, eh, no, I, I kind of like the sort of leaving it what could have been. You know, and certainly a little more, a little more realistic depiction, you know, of, of what happens and, and kind of a insider look into the what could have been. And I think that's really interesting. There's, um, well, I, had, I mentioned just kind of an aside, but yeah, I'd mentioned, you know, how much I like reading about music, even though I'm not a musician. Um, but uh, there's a, uh, you know, an, an 80s artist named, well, 70s, 80s, and he's still current, um, a writer named Joe, uh, singer songwriter Joe Jackson, mm -hmm. one of my all time favorites. And he wrote a book 
called A Cure for Gravity. And basically, the whole book was just his his struggles. And the book pretty much ended when he he dedicated a chapter to after his album blew out and he was or blew up and he was you know nominated for Grammy Awards and you know on Saturday Night Live and all that. He said, "I could tell you about that, but that's not interesting. What's interesting?" is how I got here. That's mm-hmm. that's the journey of you know, my music. And so, and yeah, and, and definitely the commitments is kind of in that same vein. So it's it's kind of the, yeah, there's, a, I mean, the you know, the stories about the fame and the excess, and I mean, that's that's great. You know, I, I you know, another I Love the Dirt by Motley Crue, uh, the Netflix film even, and, mm-hmm. and the book especially. But, uh, you know, and that's talking about when you get famous, hey, you know, look at what happens. But, but um, certainly with the commitments, I, I, yeah, I really appreciated the, um, getting up to the you know we almost could have made it but not quite but this this is the story so yeah that was a great ending that was a yeah with wilson pickett now here's a bit of trivia for for you jeff did you know uh miramax had actually optioned a sequel to the commitments they wanted to set it in new york and have the majority of the band kind of touring america oh really i didn't know that i i did i didn't know that they had sort of an unofficial sequel called the snapper Mm -hmm. which I, i never did see and that was the and that was about the daughter of of uh, or the sister of Rabbit, uh, the manager of the Commitments, and and, and a, kind of an unexpected pregnancy. And then I found out recently that they also made another one called is uh, Roddy Doyle wrote a book called The Van, mm-hmm. and they made a movie about that. And it had Cole Meany, who was the dad in the Commitments, and I don't think it was the same character. I think it is, actually. but it was kind of a trilogy. Yeah. yeah, and I never did see that one either. So now I've got some some viewing <laughs> to catch up on. Well, and anybody who's catching this podcast, please run out and watch The Commitments. It is such a wonderful film. The music is, the music has become iconic. Even if you don't know the movie, if you hear, like at a sporting event or something, you hear Mustang Sally, it's not Wilson Pickett's version, it's The Commitments version. And you, you yeah. kind of hear that song everywhere now. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, you do. And uh, it, it's funny, I don't know why, but, you know, talking about The Commitments, and I remember... Yeah, this would probably be sort of the mid-80s or whatever, another one of those memories. But I remember, um, and it was, and it started off, it was, a, it was a commercial, but then they ended up having, like, you know, TV specials and, um, uh, you know, I, I think a, a CD. I think, yeah, my mom had the cassette, and it was the California Raisins. <laughs> but they kind of, this sort of clone characters, but they brought back this music. But the music was so great that, yeah, it, I mean, it sort, of, it sort of caught on. It kind of reminded people how great this music is. And then the commitments was one of those movies where it had the great music going for it and it was just this kind of lightning in a bottle like it had these great performances this great director and it all just kind of came together and worked yeah just wonderfully i thought and and again i think it's one of those movies that holds up you know because certainly some of my childhood favorites uh, and you know in some movies you know from film school it's like eh. <laughs> you know not as great as i remember but the commitments i think is one of those movies that does hold up and yeah, and it's funny that you you were talking about the you know the box office and thing because and so what what's great but has you know um, artistic value. But um, yeah, yeah, it's funny because I because I knew the the commitments was popular, but yeah, box office wise, I wasn't sure if it you know how big a hit it was. I never saw it at the theater, but um, but I do remember yeah renting it and 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 being quite impressed. 
Yeah, it definitely had a, a very uh, lucrative second life uh, on home video, as many uh, classic films have. Um, Jeff, as we always say here on this show, uh, great movies could always be made a little bit better. And what better way to improve your movie than cast Bill Murray? And there are so many roles <laughs> in the commitments you could recast with Bill Murray. But I want to get your choice here first. If you were Alan Parker and you were casting The Commitments and you had Bill Murray up for a role, which role would you cast him as? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Bill Murray can pretty much do anything, I think. Um, yeah, certainly the, the character that comes to mind would be the dad. Uh, you know, the dad had a lot of the great lines. Um, you know, yeah, I think I think Bill Murray could, could um, you know, just... He, he would... He would... It would do it differently. It would be, um, yeah, equally as memorable, I'm sure. So I, I could definitely see him, and especially pulling out the... You know the the Elvis bits, and um, yeah, I could see Bill Murray. You know, because he had that the Lounge Club singer on Saturday Night Live during the Saturday Night Live time, and um, yeah, so I think he could definitely add something to that, or you know, bring his own interpretation to the uh, the role of the dad in the yeah yeah, yeah Rabbit's dad. That is a, a fantastic choice, uh, and then you get Bill Murray for the uh, unofficial sequel too, like uh, the Snapper in the Van, because I believe he played yeah. the, he does play the same character in all three movies. So oh, wow, you, you yeah. get a trilogy of Bill Murray, uh, which would be fantastic. Yeah. But oh, uh, yeah. uh, I'm going with Joey the Lips Fagan. I want to see Bill Murray in the commitments and wooing all three of the commitmentettes <laughs> uh, at one point, and, and kind of being the the guru uh, of the commitments because he had played with so many uh, classic artists, and just seeing Bill Murray play a trumpet, I think, would be a hell of a lot of fun so uh, i think yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, there you have it folks uh the commitments is an absolute modern day classic i love this film uh it, it's one of my my top five favorite movies of all time and i thank jeff so much for introducing me to this film because i watch it four or five times a year still i got the soundtracks on loop at all times uh jeff is there anything else you wanted to say uh, about this great film no other than i remember i don't know what year it is but this is certainly post you know after our film school days but I remember um, kind of being jealous. One of our, our buddies, Trevor, um, he, uh, Brona Gallagher from The Commitments, came to the Regina, well, came to Regina and shot a movie called, I don't know if it was Prairie Doves or Painted Angels. And it, um, but I remember being so jealous of Trevor because he got to meet her. And, uh, and I think, I don't know if this was, you know, sort of before she did Pulp Fiction or uh, could have been after. But um, yeah, I remember kind of being jealous. It's like, wow, you got to hang out with the, the girl from the, the commitments. And apparently I think he taught her how to two-step or something one oh. at a production party or something. So anyways, so I remember always being jealous of that. Like, wow. Yeah. I, I really hate Trevor now. Thanks for that, Jeff. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Trevor's one of the uh, – actually, Trevor, Jeff, and myself and a, and a fellow by the name of Rob Keyes almost shot together uh, in a park uh, uh, filming a, a movie in, in film school. I'll never forget that. The police showed up and uh, – <laughs> Uh, maybe, uh, Jeff, real quick, yeah, you want to that recap my, that story? That oh, gosh. Um, yeah, I have the embarrassing distinction of almost killing two of my student film uh, crews. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, one was in a public park when I, I was, it was lazy filmmaking, but, you know, of course, I was a student back then. But I was shooting a dream sequence where the character, uh, he was outdoors, and I, I kind of needed a wide open space, and he was uh, brandishing a gun which was uh, an air pistol that I had found in our basement. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, I had Trevor running around with this, with this uh, air pistol in a park. And it was, you know, Regina, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't think anybody was watching us, but apparently somebody did notice a bunch of these kids running around. The, you know, when I say kids, I mean, you know, certainly old enough to know better. <laughs> but, 
you know, 20 year old running around the park with uh, what looked to be a gun and sure enough, the police showed up. And I remember, I mean, the way I remember, and I think, you know, Trevor and, you know, in our discussions, the way we remember it is, you know, the police showing up, drawing their guns and saying, freeze. And I remember it was kind of like, we held up the guns. Oh, you want this? Is this, is this what you want? <laughs> okay. You know, and just being so naive. And again, that it happened again, I was using a location and it was a robbery scene. And sure, somebody else, sure enough, somebody called the police on us. We had a SWAT team out. And, and looking back, like, I'm just amazed that somebody wasn't, you know, shot or I wasn't arrested or, but, you know, it was a, I guess it was a, a, maybe a more innocent time. And if it had been any other city other than Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada, um, maybe the outcome would have been different. So I can laugh about it now, but, you know, but, yeah. Well, <laughs> all my friends, they always remember, Jeff was the guy almost got us killed and shot. Yeah. yeah, I'll never forget. I wasn't part of the second one, but the first one in the park, I was doing audio for you. And four of us are walking back towards our vehicles and the cop cars pull up in that classic V formation. Four cops point out, jump out, each with a gun trained on oh, us. Yeah. Three of us idiots, Trevor, yourself yeah, and me. Yeah, we're walking towards the cops saying, oh, it's just the starter pistol. It's all good. The cameraman, Rob, the only smart yeah, one he, he drops to the ground with his hands you know over his head and he was the only smart one i'm still uh, so lucky we didn't get uh, shot that day oh it's yeah no i remember and the uh, yeah the other time was um yeah there was a camera store in in regina where i worked at when i was going to school and yeah now i thought okay well you just you know it's it, it was a, like a wednesday night at uh, you know it was like 10 o'clock or whatever by the time we started shooting it was it was late but apparently somebody just walked by and uh, I remember we were shooting the scene where the, um, yeah, where, where my protagonist was gonna, he was gonna be shot and the phone rang and I was like, oh, hold on before we do this take, okay. And I picked up the phone and the voice on the other line said, is everything okay? Don't say anything. This is the Regina City Police surrounded, ready to take out the shooter. And I was like, and my heart, I just, yeah. And anyways, thank God it all worked out. And I said, no, 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 this is the film shoot. And so anyways, yeah. So anybody, any aspiring filmmakers, make sure, you know, black out the windows. Uh, <laughs> be very careful shooting things in public, you know. At the very least, notify the police and let them know, hey, I'm filming a, yeah, filming a scene yeah. in a park with, with a starter pistol. So if some joggers Gun. who just happen to be passing by see this, uh, everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. Or you know what? Just don't even. You know, if yeah, it's it's kind of one of those. You know, like I was mentioning, Blade Runner's narration. They say, well, that's narration in a, in a you know that's lazy. Well, yeah, maybe guns are lazy. So don't do anything with guns. Just try and write around that and do something else other than a, a scene where someone pulls a gun on somebody. So. There you go. That is great advice, Jeff Allen. I want to thank you very very much for joining us here today to talk oh, about the fun. commitments. I'd really love to have you back sometime to talk about some other uh, classic films we used to watch back in the day, like uh, Holy Grail or This Is Spinal Tap or something like that. Uh, so if you're willing, uh, we'd love to have you back. Oh, done. Yeah, yeah. Name the time. I'm I'm there. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, just want to remind folks uh, on the Feeding the Monster podcast feed, you can catch uh, the Hillbilly Scribs' Hoot and Holler every Monday. Uh, Mark Kamire's Rantings of a Maniac are happening uh, every other Wednesday. And the Power of Positive Geek right here uh, every Thursday on the Feeding the Monster podcast feed. On behalf of my special guest, Jeff Allen, my name is Corey Morset, and we'll see you next time on the Power of Positive Geeking. My name is Thor Odinson, the Asgardian Hammer. 
and I want to be your attorney. Has the year 2020 got you down? Are you tired of saying hashtag grr Mondays every Monday? Well, then my legal advice? Tune in to the Feeding the Monster podcast feed every single Monday and catch the Hoot and Holler podcast. And I promise it will get you the smiles and the laughter that you deserve.